You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 497, Real Life. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we examine an episode of Star Trek in search of the morals, meanings, and messages, and ask ourselves if it stands the test of time. This week, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? No escape from reality? That is, unless you have a holodeck where you can escape from reality whenever you want. Or, I guess in this case, escape to reality whenever you want. Uh, We'll have trivia in just a moment, but first, Norman has a word on how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here is John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, real life. We have a real story by Harry Clure. Harry is new to our discussion. He's a writer, producer, director, and he holds the distinction of being the only person to earn two simultaneous PhDs, both of those from Purdue University. Now, he'd inquired about the writer's internship program, but he was invited to just go ahead and pitch to Jerry Taylor, this being the first story of his that was purchased. And uh, the teleplay duties then fell to Jerry Taylor herself, and it was her intention to dig deep into the humanity of the Doctor and that classic Star Trek tradition of looking at human emotional life through one of the non-human characters. And yes, it is a little nod to Kenneth Biller that the Doctor's name among his family is Kenneth. This was directed by Anson Williams. Welcome back to Star Trek, Anson. We all know him as Potsy from Happy Days, but this actor-turned-director has already been mentioned by us a couple of times. He directed two episodes of DS9, Statistical Probabilities, and It's Only a Paper Moon. This kicks off his time on Voyager, for which he will direct a total of four episodes. Special effects note, the subspace eddies were created with CG, of course, and I'm just amused that the folks at Foundation Imaging referred to them as space tornadoes. Let's meet our guest stars. All of our guest stars appear in the holodeck this week. There are a couple of Klingon Utes named Larg and Kakoth. John, did you say Ute? Uh, Yeah, Utes. What's a Ute? It's a Ute. Klingon Utes. (laughs) Named Larg and Kakath, played by Stephen Ralston and Chad Haywood, respectively. Steve provided a voice on the Starfleet Academy video game shortly after this episode dropped. His on-screen credits are short, but he did carry on with his own production company and in live theater starting in the early 2000s. 
Chad continued to make guest appearances throughout the late 90s on TV shows, and then in the 2000s switched to behind-the-scenes roles as a casting director. Now it's time to meet Kenneth's family. Returning to Voyager is Lindsay Hahn as Belle. We first met Lindsay when she appeared in Captain Janeway's hollow novel in the 19th century Manor House, where she portrayed Lord Burley's daughter, Beatrice. New to the show is Glenn Walker Harris Jr., who plays Jeffrey. Glenn started very young as a child actor and worked in guest roles through the 80s and 90s. In 2005, he attended USC to earn a degree in production with a minor in business and then relocated to New York to work behind the camera. Finally, the doctor's wife, Charlene, is played by Wendy Shaw. Now, Wendy has a huge resume, and for our purposes, it's interesting to point out that she has appeared alongside Robert Picardo in multiple projects. More than a few of those were directed by Joe Dante, who kept a sort of informal group of actors busy in his projects. There's Bob and Wendy, uh, but then other notables like Dick Miller, Henry Gibson, and William Shallert. Currently, Wendy lends her voice talents to American Dad, where she has multiple characters, but most importantly, Stan's wife, Francine, in all 350-plus episodes. Other highlights from her career include Batteries Not Included, The Burbs, and she was written in as a regular during the fifth season of Fantasy Island as Julie, Mr. Rourke's goddaughter slash assistant. And you may be asking yourself, if she did that much Fantasy Island, did she also do The Love Boat? Why, yes, she did, twice. So far, this is Wendy's only Star Trek appearance. Like Zans through the hologram, these are the days of the Doctor's life. Prologue. The very picture of a happy family at home. Mom, Charlene, and the two kids, Jeffrey and Belle, wait by the door to see Dad off to work. They're so chipper and happy, and the only sign of disagreement is over who will wish Father a good day first. Then Father enters. It's Voyager's very own doctor, the EMH himself, full of good cheer and promising to help his adorable kids with their homework when he gets back home. Then he appears in sickbay, and Kess asks how things are with the family. Act 1. Voyager is on its way to rendezvous with the Vostagai space station, but that's not going to happen. What was once a station is now just a debris field. Adding to the mystery is the appearance of a fluctuation in subspace, leaving behind a kind of wake in space, so Janeway gives the order to follow it. Meanwhile, the doctor gets a clean bill of health from Bellana, and he invites both her and Kess to join him and his family for dinner later that night. They do, and it's a strange experience indeed. Charlene is a gourmet cook. The kids are both overachievers, and they are full of praise for Kenneth, the name that the EMH has adopted in this family simulation, to expand his programming. It's all too much for Balana to take. She indignantly freezes the program and tells the doctor that he will never learn what having a family is really like if he persists in this squeaky clean version. She can help him, though, if he'll let her reprogram a bit. Back on the bridge, they're detecting another subspace disturbance, and it's big. 
Act 2. That disturbance is a massive spatial anomaly, thrashing Voyager with debris and knocking systems offline. Then, as soon as it appeared, it's gone. So there's only one thing to do. Janeway wants to stick around and investigate this unknown phenomenon. By Chakotay's best estimation, it's an eddy created at the fold of space and subspace, and it kicks off enough plasma energy to potentially give Voyager and its replicators a boost. Meanwhile, the doctor is ready to give his newly modified holodeck program a whirl, and things have definitely changed. The living room is a mess. Charlene is late for the speech she's giving, Jeffrey is blasting Klingon rock music, and Belle is losing her mind that she can't find her ion mallet for Parisi Square's practice. Then a couple of Klingon teenagers show up because they have business with Jeffrey. It's a noisy, chaotic mess, and not the homecoming the doctor expected. Act 3. Things must be dire on Voyager if Tom Paris is reduced to eating Neelix's cooking. But that's where we are. He's in the mess hall, lightly poking fun at Bellana, who is reading a Klingon romance novel. The flirtation is interrupted by the appearance of another space eddy. It violently shakes the ship, discharging huge levels of heat and energy, and then it disappears again, swallowing up one of Voyager's probes along with it. But the probe is still somewhere, and there's enough data to provide one lucky volunteer with a pathway to fly a shuttle into the wake and collect some of that sweet, sweet plasma. Tom, that volunteer is you. He stops by sickbay and gets the go-ahead for the dangerous mission after an inoculation against radiation. While there, the doctor admonishes Tom for often being too reckless. He's the kind of pilot who will push things right to the edge, climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow. Tom is every bit as reckless and foolhardy as, well, as the doctor's kids, but he has some new methods to try to bring some harmony to his home life. Time for a family meeting. The doctor has unilaterally rearranged everyone's schedules to make the family function better, but that's just an invitation to upset. All of them are outraged at the intrusion, storming off, except for Belle, who stops for a moment to tell her father that she appreciates what he's trying to do, and she'll allow herself to be bumped to the secondary Parisi Squares team if it will help. Tom is in a shuttle now, chasing the wake that flows just as another space eddy disappears. Surprise, though, just as he activates the Bassard collectors to soak up that plasma, another eddy forms, dragging the shuttle and Tom into somewhere unknown. Act 4. After teching the tech, communication with the shuttle is established, and Tom has no idea where he is, some place in that fold between space and subspace. Also lost is the doctor. He's at work, but he's distracted by the needs of his family, and Cass encourages him to spend more time with them. It's the middle of the day, and the doctor wasn't expected at home. That's a surprise when he walks in on Jeffrey, hanging out in the living room with his two Klingon pals. The doctor suspects something, given that one of the Klingons is holding a knife. It's intended for a ritual of violence, one that Jeffrey has volunteered to participate in for honor. The doctor kicks the Klingons out, and when things come to a head, Jeffrey rejects his own family, saying that he's leaving. Just then, a call comes from Charlene with the news that Belle has been in an accident. 
Some hours later, the doctor looks over his daughter in a recovery room when Charlene enters. He worked on her for hours. What looked like a small head injury while playing Parisi Squares was much more traumatic. Blood clots form in her brain as soon as another area is attended to. There is no other medical procedure, no possible way to save her. Belle wakes up enough to call to her father, and she says she's not in pain, but she can't see, and she can't feel her legs. He can't take it anymore, and the doctor ends the program. Act 5. Later, the doctor is chipper and motivated back in sickbay, and clearly hiding his feelings from Kess while burying himself in work. Tom is still stuck in wherever. The only possible way out is for him to try to ride out the way he got in inside one of those turbulent eddies. The debris field batters Voyager, but Janeway is staying close enough to beam Tom and the shuttle back aboard at the first opportunity. Success. Eventually, as the shuttle's hull starts breaching, Harry gets a lock and rescues Tom, which then means a stop by sickbay, where the doctor says his hard head saved him once again. He starts to lose his composure, but it's all about his hollow family. Tom suggests that he should go back in. That part of having the experience of a family is the good times and the bad. That difficult times are what bring people together just like the crew of Voyager. So the doctor returns to his family at the moment where Belle lays in bed asking if she's going to die. The doctor confirms it as he holds her hand and promises he'll stay with her. Charlene and Jeffrey arrive, and the son gives his father a warm hug. He brought a blanket for Belle, and as they tell her they're there for her, Belle quietly breathes her last. Charlene and Jeffrey embrace and after a moment, the doctor holds them both closely, a family grieving together. The end. Fantastic recap, as always, John. Uh, Thank you, my friend. I usually would have something witty to say here, but there's so much going on in this episode. I think we should just jump right into our observations because. Yeah, it did, didn't leave you with a with a witty taste in your mouth. <laughs> you know, no, that, not that final. Certainly not no. at the end. Yeah. No, 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 no. Well, uh, but right at the beginning. Very witty. I, I I just I was smiling watching this 1950s sitcom version of the family, but especially the EMH eating it up. Like yeah. I, I love that he loves that, right? Yeah. I mean, this it's perfectly couched in kind of like Leave It to Beaver, My Three Sons, you know that kind of era. Yep. Yeah. Even to the point where, and this was, I timestamped this so early on. It was timestamped, uh-huh. believe it or not. Yeah. 47 seconds in. Of course. Of course. Yeah. 47 seconds in, the wife hologram unit turned her head, then the son turned his head, the daughter turned her head. They're all in perfect descending order to the uh, door. It was great. perfectly blocked as a scene. So great job there, Potsy. Yeah, um, yeah seriously. Uh, yeah. Anson Williams, throughout this, he, he changes up the blocking and the camera movements to really fit the flow of the story. So great note right at the start. Yeah. Do you think at any time subliminally his experience on Happy Days somehow informed him here as a director? Oh, that's interesting. Of course, great family comedy of the 70s. How could it mm-hmm. not? Yeah, yeah, he had to have learned from that. Yeah, Just curious. Also, later on, shortly after, I, I really do like that they kept Jennifer Leon's natural hair as Kess's hair uh, yes. following before and after, like literally the episode after. 
Yep. <laughs> right. <after. laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I love, man, Janeway, when they come across the debris of the station, she is determined to find whomever destroyed the Vostagai space station. Right. Just assuming that somebody did it. <laughs> That's it. And she's going to go get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess from this episode, we're never going to know what the Vostagai look like. And they sounded pretty cool. They sounded like very friendly folks. But... We will never see them because they are gone. Imagination. That's what the imagination's for. Yeah. Uh, the holographic doctor, the EMH, getting a checkup for his own health, that's kind of wonderfully ironic. And, know, and from the engineer. Think? And from, from the engineer. Yeah, from Bologna, yeah. which is yeah. funny. Yeah. You would wonder, would that be her job or would it be – like, we haven't met a computer specialist not like yet. You, like you kind of need a role like that. Right? I mean, did we meet the Zimmerman program in the holodeck at one time? But it's not like he's giving himself a checkup. But Voyager needs like an IT guy who's yeah. who's just like <laughs> just put off by everything, you know? And right? Yeah. But he did you turn him on? Did you turn him off first? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my skin crawls when I hear the phrase "the little woman." I mean, and I, I think that it is intended to be that here to make you a little uneasy because, oh, God, this is such a oh, it's such an out of date, awful phrase. Thanks, Muffin. <laughs> That's, look, I would take Muffin over the little woman. Really? In a, in a script. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In, okay. in, in a script. Oh, sure. sure wow. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're both terrible. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're terrible. Hilarious uh, to hear Kenneth, and I love that it's about Kenneth Biller. For sure. And then Bilana's line, lollipops? She calls right. the family lollipops? Like, what a weird phrase for her to use. I don't see Klingons, even half Klingons, enjoying a lot of lollipops in no. their life or Or even style. having that in their vernacular. Yeah, it's strange. All right, so I love seeing the CGI in this episode. I think it holds up really well. Yeah. I like seeing Voyager approach the subspace anomaly. It just, it worked. I, I didn't feel dated at all on that scene. No. Uh, so but it looks good. And I love the debris coming out of like all of that stuff worked super well. It's a well. space tornado, dude. Space tornado. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, but, but come on, but come on. They, they're, uh, Tuvok calls it out. It, it's at heading 047. Really? Mark one night. Yeah. 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 Not enough 47s in this episode. Apparently not. I do like, kind of like this fast zoom in close up to Chakotay saying, like, I've never seen anything like that before. I dig that. Like, yeah. They're, yeah. they're explorers. And then, you know, Chakotay's been with the Maquis, so he's seen other things. Then they're out there in the Delta Quadrant seeing other things. And you still are seeing weird new things. I dig that. But, okay, but wait, wait, wait. The preface to that line is, I'm not afraid to say it. But I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Remember when Tuvok shot that dirty look at Harry Kim and and, and even called him out for saying that he'd never seen something before? Oh, I mean, right, right, right. Yeah. That was earlier on. And it's like, you yeah. don't really care about your emotions. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, oh, oh, keep it to yourself. But you, he can't you know? say that to a superior officer. Exactly. Now, and Chakotay yeah. is like, you know what? I'm going to say it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a great seen. callback uh-huh. reference. Really right? good. Yeah. Right? Because nice I, I wondered about that line. It's like, why would he announce that he's not afraid to say that? Oh, because Tuvok was a jerk. That's right. why. The Tuvok right? finger does not work on Chakotay. <laughs> no, it does nope. not. 
I do love the EMH saying, I have had some experience with romantic relations, uh, relationships. Yeah. I don't anticipate any problems there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You know. And I love the entrance of Larg and Kaka. Kaka. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they were great. Yeah. Yes. Klingon punks. Klingon teenage punks. Those utes. Yeah. 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 And two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Now, look, we, we cut back to real life, <laughs> the real life in Voyager, mm-hmm. and we're in the mess hall, and uh, Neelix is serving up plica rinds and grub meal. Why is that, quote, casserole being dished up from a wok? Neelix, yeah. I, somebody needs to sit you down and talk about what a casserole actually is and get you some new cookware, because now it you're did. just throwing words around like they have no meaning. It did look like like haggis. Actually, it, it looked like dog food. It looked it, terrible. It was, it was pretty ground yeah. up and, you know, yeah. Yeah, definitely not a casserole. Yeah, and not coming from a wok. Yeah. I liked looking around Neelix's kitchen. So first of all, you had the space rack, which yeah. uh, I think know. like other members of like our Discord are saying, hey, look at that. Did anyone else buy those racks when they were on sale, you know, at <laughs> yes. Walmart? So you had, I think I saw eggplants and I think I yep. saw squash and mm-hmm. I think I saw some kind of root. It could have been the, uh, you know, the... Not, it's not the paola root, whatever, whatever root that they use, like Neelix yeah. like, serves everything out of, but not a lot of alienish foods. I thought that was good. Yeah. When, when, uh, Bellana and Tom were kind of flirting with each other, I didn't notice that there was a braid in Bellana's hair. Yeah. It looked great. Right. I thought that was nice. They yeah. Were, I thought that was a cool look. They looked like they were trying out some new hairstyles with her in the last mm-hmm. few episodes. Okay. So you had a problem with little woman, Ugh. you know? Yeah. I had a problem with this line from Tom, and it's I don't blame Robbie. I, I blame the writing. Yeah. So Tom says to Bellana about her book, I think I'll read it. Maybe it'll give me some ideas on how to make your heart quicken. <laughs> like, who talks like that, really? <laughs> you know? Like, I hear that. I'm like, give me the Orville's kind of dialogue any day of the week if I have to listen to that. Yeah. It just sounds you know? more natural. Yeah. 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 That That's... Well, and it is kind of a weird scene anyway, because I feel like we're past this early flirtation stage. Quicken, you know? but who says that? Yeah. You know, it, what are we, it, in it, like the 18th century? Uh, I know, right? You know? It's, it's a really odd choice, you know. I do love when we get back into the holodeck family. I, I love how they look different yeah. after the especially jeffrey but everybody yeah. has a different look the lighting the house like everything is you know again just great creative choices by the well the director and the dp here mm-hmm. uh really nice stuff and wow the the doctor i think definitely overstepping some boundaries and sounding would you say a bit uh speciesist when declaring that jeffrey should have vulcan friends instead of klingon friends i mean that is uh, yeah, yeah, he needs a little bit of a talking to there. Yeah, I have I have a talking point. Um, I hope we get to that in discussion. Okay. Great. Yeah. Jeffrey says something about a Vulky idea. Is that slang for Vulcan idea? I wondered about that. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. And then you have the daddy's little girl scene. That's not telegraphing anything at all. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, we, we get a shuttlecraft with a name. We get the shuttlecraft Cochrane. It was yep. very cool. So I thought yeah. this was interesting. So on Paramount Plus, they they added an exclamation point to the title Rise, <laughs> right. which we brought up before. Yeah. yeah. In the subtitle for this scene, they spelled Cochrane without the E. Oh, interesting. Huh. So just a small need to, need to weird get on that. thing there. Yeah. 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 
I, I do wonder, how did Tom Paris get two servings of French toast if he doesn't have replicator rations? And if Neelix only knows how to cook this terrible casserole, we call it a casserole, <laughs> which is not. But yeah, something about that didn't add up. Well, if it's not a casserole, then he got two servings of French something. There we go. Right. Yeah. May not yeah. be toast. When the uh, when the doctor returns home, catches his son and the two Klingons in the act of whatever they're doing. Yeah. The thing that I fixated on in this scene was like the little chess slash gaming table slash Chinese checkers thing on the table. It was white. It had a bunch of like different sized balls on it, different colors, and it looked like ah. a game. And I go, I wonder what the rules of that game are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amidst Somebody this entire dr- dramatic so, thing, yeah. right? You're like, wow, but the game. <laughs> Can I get a prop of that? Yeah. Right. I don't know if you noticed this, but when the doctor's asking the, I can't remember which Klingon it was, about the dagger, his yeah. mouth is open and he doesn't, he doesn't move his lips, his tongue doesn't move, and he just goes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Right? Yeah, that was a little odd. Yeah. That's like terrible, like Kung Fu ADR is what yeah. that is. Yeah. Here's another thing that builds on the line that you were talking about. So the doctor says, Jeffrey, how can I make you understand that what you're doing to what you're going to do is wrong? Jeffrey says it isn't wrong. It's just the custom of another culture. Who are you mm. to say there's something wrong about it? That to me in the line that you referenced, there is some very very like strong DNA classic Star Trek ties going yep. on here. Yeah, yep. I hope we get a chance yeah. to talk about that discussion. Because look, the Klingons got a pass for a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. and you, you know, here's somebody calling them out, and then somebody saying right back, "Oh, it's just a cultural difference." Yeah, right. It, we keep talking about how good this episode looks and and the creative choices here. What a great shot of the Doctor sitting in that quiet recovery room with Bell. And it it just lets you appreciate, I think, how detailed this world is that isn't very specific. Like, could be Earth, might not be. Mm -hmm. 24th century, we assume, probably so. But it it has its own kind of color palette. It has its own lighting style. And uh, and then to use the shadows the way they did, particularly as it gets later in the episode, really nice choices there. And – We'll probably have a lot to say about Bob's performance in this, but what a great scene to come back to. Him being this artificial construct, being the EMH, being played by this terrific actor who then is stuffing down all the emotions of the EMH when he encounters Kess in sickbay. I just thought, what what a great scene to play. Very apparent to us, but there's so many layers in between what's happening just mm-hmm. really nicely done um going back to the you know the uh, the tom Paris storyline when he's inside like the mm-hmm. subspace eddie i found it interesting that he's in there kind of like in this unknown region of space and then captain janeway says we're going to do whatever we need to do to get you out of there and like right now i just wish they added a line in there saying like well captain i'm in here shouldn't i be yeah. like exploring stuff because the reason why i'm in here is because we started exploring stuff Right. right. So right. I might as well. I'm not in like any real immediate danger. Yeah. So yeah. it was just weird that exploration kind of got tossed to the wayside a little bit once artificial drama started happening. Yeah. <laughs> stick guess. around and, and get as much telemetry as you can because I mean, yeah. who else has been there? You know, mm-hmm. a lot of handheld filming 
during all those action scenes just to add to the drama of it all and the intensity of it all. I thought that was cool. I wonder if um, actors like, um, say, like Robbie, I wonder if they're afraid when, like, the explosion squibs go off because they could – anything can happen. Yeah, you know? they, and, they're dangerous. Yeah. 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 You know, we'll come back to it, but I, I the, the scenes with Tom and the doctor, I think there's a lot to say about – Mm-hmm. particularly that last moment right before the EMH goes back into the uh, the holodeck. Yep. Um, Tom saying, we've become a family in part because of the pain we shared. thought that was a, a key line to this whole thing. But I, I do want to come back to Tom's role in that. I want to shout out to um, Robbie Duncan McNeil because I think mm-hmm. that that scene, his performance in that scene, may be one of his best in the series so far. He delivered it so well, and it wasn't in that Tom Paris kind of attitude-y kind of way, like trying to – there's no condescension. There is a real honesty about, like, the reason why I'm here, the reason why Tom is saying I feel like I'm here is because I belong here. I've been given a second chance, you know? So the reason why all of us act as a family because we have to, like, learn how to embrace all these second chances that we've been given. So, yeah, yeah, it's just – it's so well done. Good job, Robbie. It's interesting to see the roles flipped there because up until this point, it has primarily been the doctor in the position of power with Mm. the condescension, with the attitude, and Tom Paris being this – as he describes him, you know, this kind of hard-headed, rough-and-tumble guy who will just push limits constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to see the the script flipped on that. Yep. Now, I know we're going to have a lot to say about the final scene with Bell, uh, but I want to go back to some of the subtleties in Picardo's performance here because uh, I, I just kept re-watching that moment when I could take it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And you know the emotion of the scene because it can't help but be the emotional scene that it is. But watching Bob specifically... I was so taken in by the choices that he makes and by what's happening in his expression. Here's this touching, painful death scene. And what does he do? He reaches for the tricorder and he does the scan first while his wife and son are standing there next to him in this embrace. And it it takes like a moment. He has to watch them for a moment before he goes in and and understands what's happening and what is expected of him. And I thought that it was such a beautiful learning moment for him that required no words whatsoever. If we're making this a family drama, let's just go for it. Tom could have been rescued by his subspace salamander kids. Then he and the doctor could both have dealt with family estrangement. So awkward. We'll get right back to real life after a word from this week's sponsor, and that's you. Us? You. You who are... Yeah, well, it's you and oh, me, you. and it's everybody else. Yeah, and you. And everyone and else. You. Yeah. And everyone mm-hmm. else who's listening to the show right now, who has chosen to join us over at Patreon, and by extension, joined us at Discord. You know, we get to do our show, we get to talk about Star Trek for a long time, and then get it out there to the world, and then it's your turn to talk back to us and with each other. And uh, that's what's so nice about Discord, is our private server over there, where... 
the conversation continues. And it might be about this episode in particular. It might be in one of our live chats that we do every week when we get to hear from you what you thought of the show. Or it might be the ongoing text conversation about, well, anything happening in the Star Trek universe. I mean, there's a lot happening just talking about Picard and Strange New Worlds and everything else that is current and in the world of Star Trek. And one of the things that John and I do uh, when we prepare for a show like this is that we we write a lot of notes, a lot of notes. And sometimes we'll get to them in the conversation, sometimes we don't. So one of the things that we've recently offered our patrons and our subscribers, um, we offer them the uncut version, the unexpurgated version of this podcast recording. And that includes value-added material of which we did not get to in the course of recording this show because of time constraints. So if you want to hear more about our thoughts and you want to hear a little bit more of the context of how we felt about this episode, you're going to want to sign up because that's how you get the uncut version of the value-added material. Yeah, everybody gets early access. They get those uncut, unexpurgated shows, and those get posted early, early in the feed. So you can check those out. Um, That is all part of your Patreon membership. There's swag. There's other benefits as well. Patreon.com slash mission log. And once you sign up there, you get the invitation link to join us on Discord. Special thanks to some of our newest members, Mark, Marguerite, Jay, Will, Caitlin, Hawkeye, Robert, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with you in Discord and on Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash missionlog. We hope to see you there. All right, Norman, this episode is so focused on the doctor and his journey, but we got to talk about Bellana. Yeah, we do. Uh, so you mentioned that it was interesting that Bellana is the one who gives the doctor a checkup. Mm-hmm. I think definitely after what happened with Darkling, mm-hmm. we don't want that to happen again. No. So somebody has to be responsible for his physical and emotional well-being, just as he is responsible for the living members of the crew. Good idea that the doctor can add things to his program. Good idea that the doctor can experience things that may be new and random like this holodeck program that he's created. I have a problem with Bellana's rather extreme reaction <laughs> to the doctor's life in the holodeck. You're not the only one. Yeah. Who is she to judge? Mm-hmm. And not not only judge, but then take the time to reprogram his life. Which, by the way, raises a very interesting question. Is she the one who programmed – Maybe well, like, look, it's perfectly reasonable that she's the one who programmed some Klingon Utes yeah. to be in Yeah. There. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. Is she the one who programmed the accident that Bell has? Because that's very dark, if it is. But let's contrast Bellana's reaction to Kess. Mm-hmm. Kess is just cool about it all. She's just like, look, it was nice to meet your family. And I look forward to hanging out with them. Like, she she just accepts that this is the life that he has picked out for himself. Well, mostly. Mostly. I think so. I, yeah. Look, look okay. I, Kess, Kess understands the importance 
of having a more quote unquote real experience. I'm just saying that there was a there was a slight bit of criticism in a in a chunk of dialogue that I have referenced here because I agree with you. I agree. Okay, with you. well, yeah. tell tell me the part that that you pulled out. Okay, yeah. so I agree with you. I think that Bellana in some way is jealous of the Doctor's real life program. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. 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 So I'm referencing when they're all having dinner. So Bellana says, if you're, if you think that this is giving you an accurate impression of being in a family or sadly mistaken, I take huge exception with that. The doctor says, I don't understand. And Kes says they're kind of perfect. Now that's kind of passive aggressively yeah. criticizing the doctor, but she's not discounting his program. Bellana, right. well, that, yeah, yeah. Bellana yeah, says yeah. they are ridiculously yeah. perfect. No one has a family like this. This is a fantasy. I completely disagree with that statement. I wholesale disagree with Ooh, that statement. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me why. Because she's presuming <laughs> that no family like that exists out there, and she doesn't know that. You know, she doesn't know that. You know, there are people, there are wonderful families out there that have that type of relationship, that have that type of support system, and I think that she's projecting you know, whatever she suffered in her family life onto the doctor. And I think that's unfair because the doctor very well could have experienced a family unit like this, you know, with a supportive, you know, a supportive wife, supportive children who are very good, nurtured, well-behaved, you know, all of this. Now, it may be a little saccharine. Sure, I understand Mm -hmm. that. But I don't think that she could say that no family in the history of families has ever been like this, you know, because that's basically saying, well, the doctor... You can't program any of these historical figures that you programmed in Darkling because none of them existed the way that you think that they existed. Now, maybe that's true or maybe that's not, but I don't think that she has the right to say it, nor does she have the right to interject the hardships of maybe her own life into the program that's affecting him now or towards the end. Yeah. Well, here, let let me take this a slightly different angle because I agree with you. Bolana is bringing her own baggage of this situation and the doctor look the doctor doesn't necessarily know better i mean he only knows the programming that he has and yes he could probably take a slice out of all of that and and just the same way that he looked at those historical figures and say okay there there is a positive and a negative side to these people individually i can look at a survey of families And I can also pick out positive and negative attributes and not even necessarily positive or negative, but simply different attributes Mm -hmm. and either decide to construct something that I want or ask the computer to construct something that I want that might be pulled from those attributes. But here's the thing. Let's say that this version of the family 100% has never existed anywhere in the space-time continuum, (laughs) that it is a complete fantasy, that it is a made-up version, like we were saying earlier, like a leave-it-to-beaver thing. Yeah. So what? So what? Mm -hmm. Because the doctor has every right to live out this fantasy exactly as he pleases. The same way that Tom and Harry walked into a Talaxian resort and turned it into Club Bro Med mm-hmm. with the attributes that they wanted. Now, we can make fun of it all day long, but they have a right to do that. Mm-hmm. And they, they have the ability to say, like, this is the fantasy that I want. When I want to step away, I can do this. And the doctor, in the interest of constructing an experience for himself, 
he could just as easily have this, which we may find very weird, and he could just as easily have the totally dysfunctional, <laughs> combative family that he got later, which, let's face it, is not all bad because they they certainly do have some positive attributes as well. I, I've seen, and I'm sure you have, way more dysfunctional families than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I absolutely take exception with the idea that Bellana just gets to insert herself. Now, she does it with permission. The, the, the doctor says, yes, you know, you can reprogram it come up with what you want i still have big big questions about what part of it is her inserting what she thinks right. he should experience yeah. and that's where i have the problem with like the fallacy of her argument like this is the way that a family works because a family dynamic starts way before people become parents you know so yeah there yeah. there's a whole there's a whole kind of chain reaction of events that happen to get you to parenthood that inform you what kind of parent you're going to be and then inform you how you're going to raise your children because that's that's like the basis of her entire premise falling apart his patriarchy in that family wasn't earned you know it was programmed yeah. so it's not like he fell in love with his high school sweetheart it's not like they had a plan that his life was supposed to unfold to or not unfold to it's not that when he he realized the very first time he saw his children being born, it changed him in some way. You know, there's none of that, right? <laughs> right there's none of that. Right. And that changes at yeah. the microscopic decision-making level of who you are and how are you going to raise your family or how are you going to build that family? None of that exists. It's just, here's what you think it's right. Here's what you think is wrong. And here's what Bellana thinks is right. And here's what Bellana thinks is wrong. But none yeah. of that is earned. None of it. And yeah. You only write what you know. So this is what the doctor's writing for himself because that's what he knows, like he said. And this is what Bellana is writing for the doctor because it's what she knows, right? Yeah. She's projecting yeah. a great deal of her own information into this model. And it's very well possible that this family could have turned out that way, but we didn't see the how. We didn't yeah. see the math. And that's why this whole thing is just, it's all conjecture really at this point. Okay, so speaking of seeing the math, seeing how it works, that raised a question in my head. Does the simulation occur in real time? Does it keep happening in the background? Because remember, the doctor has to say, computer, initiate this program, Mm -hmm. beta row, right? Okay, and then he goes into it. So, yeah, if you were to open the holodeck doors in between, that family isn't doing stuff, but it sounds like the computer is still making some calculations in the background about what would have happened. Yeah. So, okay, like when the doctor goes to work on a Tuesday, is it still Tuesday playing out for the work hours in the holodeck computer? And if the EMH gets activated at any other hour, like it's his off time, he goes home, does he just get whisked away back into sickbay? Right. Because think about it. it it's uh, the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the middle of the day. And Kess says, oh, go see your family. Go go work that out. Mm-hmm. And he walks in and it's the middle of the day. Right. And there's Jeffrey with the Klingons playing with the knife. Right. 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 Yeah. So the computer then has to know, oh, wait, it's, you know, two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. The doctor shouldn't be home right now. Right. But this is the thing that's happening in the program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he will walk in on it. Otherwise, he could have 
come into a totally different scenario. Right. So the computer is still working on that. It's still crunching away, even though it's not active, even though that simulation isn't running. That brings up a whole other question. That I don't even have written in my notes because <laughs> I know that I know that some some people have written in or said, you know, in our Discord that the holodeck has its own power system. It's not draining yeah. the resources of Voyager. How much power right. is that being used, though, in its own system? Because think about the amount of calculations that are being made behind the scenes in real time yeah. in order for to keep not just this program open, but maybe other programs open, too. Like, I don't know how many holodeck programs are open at one point in time. I mean, is Club Med open at the same time? His family unit? Right. You know, I don't know. Um, right. But, yeah, that's... When when he left Cast and then when he went to back home, you know, his son was like, oh, my gosh, Dad, what are you doing here? Very soap opera-esque, right? You know, like the Californians, uh-huh. what are you doing here? You doing you know? here? <laughs> but it was, it, you know, it, it was very realistic as opposed, you know, like when kids say, oh, my parents are going to be gone from this, hour, you know, this day, uh, this hour to this hour because they're at a lunch or they're meeting somebody or they're going to the grocery store. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off thing, you know, uh, Parent one or parent two says, oh, I forgot something at home or forgot to turn the stove off. And then all of a sudden you run into the kids doing something nefarious. And that's right. That's real. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I I do want to talk about Tom Paris a bit because I I know that that was uh, we we started to talk about that in the last segment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, these this monologue that he has, uh, you'll never have the chance to say goodbye to your daughter or to be there for your wife and son when they need you. And you'll be cheating yourself of the chance to have their love and support. In the long run, you'll miss the whole point of what it means to have a family. Mm -hmm. That is such a great talk. And I did ask myself, should that be his? Now, it it works. Don't get me wrong. It is a great scene, and it, it's so nice to see Tom Paris have a conversation that isn't the typical Tom Paris dialogue that we get. Should that be his? To me, in the episode, he just got here. Now, he did have that little... You know, the the inoculation that he got before. So we, we at least established that he knows what's going on. But it's really Bellana and Kess who have been invested in the doctor's journey. Mm-hmm. There is so much else going on on this ship <laughs> where people are not paying attention to the doctor's home life. And then I also ask myself, since Tom has really no semblance of a family life, what what we do get is dysfunctional. He and his father don't get along, and he's you know been incarcerated and all this stuff. But then I thought, okay, that fact could either count against him or really count for him mm-hmm. with this particular insight. Now, that said, it also makes me realize that to this day, Janeway still really doesn't have a relationship with the Doctor. Not this way, sure. You, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, so all these other characters have had this, this insight with him. But, yeah, I, just, I, I wondered your thoughts on that, because I, I thought, Tom, you could really say, like, wow, he's the last guy to be giving family advice. But maybe he is the right guy to give this family advice because he comes from this broken place. And by saying that he would cheat himself out of their love and support, maybe that's the thing that he feels is missing in his own family. I, I, that's the way I took it. 
You know, because okay. we, we, we have seen and been exposed to very limited information on Tom and his father. But we know that they have a contentious relationship, estranged, you know, and maybe this in some way we're trying to give Tom just a little bit more of a backstory because maybe it lands with the doctor differently because it's not Bellana or Kess, you know, people that have been with his you know, his, uh, his programming and his evolution, you know, very closely, you know, over the course of these last three seasons. But when you hear it come from Tom out of nowhere, maybe it sounds a little bit more profound to us as the audience, because obviously it stuck out for you. So mm. I think it was a good choice because I'm trying to go through the roster of characters and Harry's not mature enough, or at least he hasn't been written as such. It would have been interesting if maybe Tuvok gave this speech. Because he's a father. Because uh, he's got the kids. And yeah. he's separated from yeah. his wife and he has his kids. That would have been interesting, but we've just yeah. had a few Tuvok-focused episodes and not enough of Tom, really. But what I, like, mm. what I like about Tom, and I just mentioned this earlier, is that he's been given a second chance at family. And he, mm. and he wants to mm. make something of it. And it's not easy. you know. And there are tough choices to be made. But that's how families come together. It's not the family that you're born into. Sometimes it's the, it's the family that you find or that has found you. And that I think that's something that's very Voyager esque as a theme that they have to rely on each other through thick and thin because you're all that you have on that ship. Yeah. So one of the last things I wanted to bring up, John is there's this, there's a plot in here. That's not the doctor's story, but it is significant (laughs) enough to chew up some time. And I'm sure that we're going to talk about that towards the end yeah. of the show. But there is a risk versus reward kind of attitude that I thought was interesting with with Janeway's, um, with her, I guess, uh, kind of storm chasing, I guess, or tornado chasing in a way, right? So you have her, yeah. you know, wanting to uh, chase these space eddies, these anomalies. And for some odd reason, and I know that I've criticized Voyager about this in the past, but I kind of was excited about that. It's like, yeah, go out there and explore. Go see something that you haven't seen before. Like Chakotay said, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. I haven't seen this before. But at the same time, though, the further you chase these things, the further away from your goal of getting home you, you get, right? So right. where do we find that balance of, is she sticking to the, the original promise of trying to get them home as quickly as possible? Or are we just seeing this as another one of those, oh my gosh, you're chasing another anomaly? Are you going to lose another (laughs) shuttle? How many lives are going to be lost with this attempt? But it is exploration. It is Star Trek. That's what it's about. I just find it sometimes a little untempered, you know, a little cavalier. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking of the same thing, how we praised them before for actually doing exploration. Mm-hmm. But then in this, it seems dangerous. And yes, risk might be our business, but the mission at hand is to get home. And the first time Voyager gets beat around by all that debris uh, and energy mm-hmm. shooting off of that eddy, it's time to back off. Now, look. They could back off and they could shoot another couple of probes at it. They could have uh, Bellana and Tuvok and whomever else wants to bang out a remote Bussard collector. They could do any number of things that would put some distance between them and the phenomenon. Still be able to look at it, still be able to collect some energy. But if it gets too dangerous to collect that energy, it's time to move on. We should probably just be glad that the doctor didn't have a soft spot for Mr. Ed, or my mother the car. 
So here we come now at the end of real life. Not 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 real life, but but real life. You know, this real life. It's really it's the really end the end of, of this real, real life. life. This episode. Yeah. Um, I don't know, okay. John. Have before we get into what we do at Mission Log. You know, at the end of these episodes, you know, we took we take a look at the end and say, hey, does this episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? Then we get to morals, meanings, and messages. But the big question, the very first question that we need to address. Is this the real life, or is it just fantasy? I, I, I'm caught on a landslide. Okay, so no escape so, you know, from yeah, reality. I, no, okay, no escape right. from reality. No, no. All right. Uh, look, this episode, I, structurally, there is something kind of off. Like we, We've pointed out episodes in the past where the A plot and the B plot feel very incongruous. And sometimes it may feel that way, but then thematically they're connected and you kind of give it a pass. But what's happening in the holodeck is just so detached from the action of chasing the subspace eddies that these stories feel like they don't belong together at all, except they decided, oh, we need some action here. So let's let's get some action in. And it's conspicuous when characters come and go from these two stories, right? Like Bellana is absent through part of it when as the engineer you'd think that she would be front and center while Voyager is taking a beating then we finally get her up to the bridge and then well Tom's doing his thing oh but we have to get him to sickbay at some point so let's come up with this thing about the radiation like it's it's clunky in that respect which then makes me question could that EMH story stand on its own without a B plot And I feel like maybe it could to fans who are already invested in him and in that particular story, but maybe not for others. So is it just weak enough that everybody at the time felt like, well, we can't just let it fly on its own? But I think that structural thing aside, what we get, particularly from the A plot, is so thoughtful and heartfelt that even though the beats of the story feel very predictable and very cliche, it's just marvelous to watch Robert Picardo navigate that as the EMH. I, okay, I, I made a mistake <laughs> the first time watching this late one night, even though I knew it was coming, and I'm just laying there in bed, it's like 11, 12 o'clock, and just tears running down my face because they made this completely artificial construct feel emotionally real. So even if the thing isn't real, the reaction to it can be. And that's happening on a on a very meta level. Me as somebody watching a 25-year-old TV show about an artificial family to an artificial character played by actors, <laughs> you know, it is many, many layers of separation, but, but the reaction can be real. And that's what this episode is all about. It, it did make me wonder how this experience will affect the doctor going forward. It, it, it's one thing to be a detached practitioner, but once you have felt what it's like to have a profound loss, that can't help but have a long-term impact on how the doctor empathizes with his patient. So I hope that we get some reference or, or some indication of that. Finally, that last scene. That, that last scene where, well, before we get to that scene where Bell says that she will give up her primary team practice because it will help her father. It, it's telegraphed, but it's lovely. But then that line at the end. 
and, and it's not Bell's line. It, it's the doctor's line that I think shows so much growth and so much empathy and thoughtfulness from him. He says, you're too sick to get better. And it, it was so serious, but at the same time so tender and it just felt like this emotional gut punch. And I've never heard anything quite like it. That line affected me as much as just the action of her passing away and what happens to the family mm. afterward. Uh, so f f there are places here where we can point out clunky lines or things that don't quite work. But that line will stick with me for so long uh, because it, it's something that has to be so difficult for a doctor to say. I, I, Gosh, not that long ago, I was talking to my dad about some of the terminal patients that he had and people who would come in with an identifiable, diagnosable thing that is untreatable and incurable. And, and I said, what do you do then? And he said, you say, I'm sorry. And I, it just, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I could do that day after day after yeah. day time after time meeting people. So, yeah, I look, there are things that we can pick apart in this episode, but I, I do think it holds up because it reaches these emotional mm -hmm. depths, and that is placed squarely on the enormous talents of Robert Picardo bringing that to every scene and making, really elevating every scene that he's in. The episode mostly holds up for me, and I think it's for many of the reasons that you stated. See, I actually I do like the the B storyline for what it is, and maybe mm -hmm. it's because I like the movie Twister, and this is basically like Twister in space, <laughs> you know, because Voyager becomes yeah. the space tornado chasing element of the story. But even like Tom's shuttle, you know, they were watching. Oh, yeah, it. like you you know yeah, that. Like, yeah. So I looked on you know online, and Twister came out in '96. So you had this. Right, yeah, you have kind of like the spirit go. of let's maybe put that into this episode. Um, could be coincidental, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, but even like Tom and his shuttlecraft being inside, kind of like the space Eddie anomaly, and that's big. That's kind of like you know Helen Hunt being inside the Godfinger at the end of Twister. Like we see the inside of the tornado. Shouldn't we do something? Yeah. And I thought they were going to map it, but I was disappointed. Too bad Bill Paxton wasn't <laughs> in this episode. Anyway, so. I felt that that, as fun as it was to watch, did what a lot of things happen. Uh, did what a lot of episodes do that we've kind of criticized in Voyager in the past, and that steal time from the far more significant a plot, and steal time in this case from watching the Doctor's story unfold. Because I think that if it was just more of uh, understanding the nuance of the Doctor's choices and seeing how maybe more feedback played off of him confessing problems with his families to other characters. Not only would we see other characters' reactions to his story, but we would also see them inform the doctor on other decisions as well. We mentioned Tuvok before, a family man separated from his family 75,000 light years away. How does that make a parent react? What would that do to inform the doctor about him being a parent? So I thought that would have been interesting if we got those moments. I know these are kind of like what ifs, but that's where I, that's how I feel about this episode. Not enough of the additional time that could have been spent to even out the kind of like the the chunky bits, as you say, John, in this episode uh, right. were there. Yeah. But there's also kind of like if again we think about 
what's happening with Voyager in real time. What if Tom never had that conversation with the doctor? Or what Mm -hmm. if the doctor just says, I'm done with it. Flip a switch, delete. I got what I got out of it. Not every single experience with a doctor can, can be as such. He can't just cherry pick the good out of situations and believe that he's going to be a well-rounded program or individual. That's where I think, you know, if we were thinking about this again in real terms, what if Kess never got a chance to talk to him about how important family is? What if Tom never had his soliloquy about, you know, you created the program so you could experience what it's like to have a family, the good times and the bad. You can't have one without the other. And the mm. doctor's like, well, I could. I could do it right now. Click, done. <laughs> right? So yeah, yeah that's right. where I see a little bit of danger involved when you don't have connective tissue in scenes where it makes the doctor pause more than just once about the consequences of his actions or his decisions. That all being said, the only thing that really, really makes me, again, have additional pause is if Robert Picardo wasn't the doctor at all. What if somebody else was like in his role? Would we have gotten uh, a performance (laughs) or a series of performances as consequential as what he's given us? Because every single time that there is a doctor-focused episode, we always consistently say Picardo always brings his very best. Even if there are small roles, he always makes the best out of them. That to me, yeah. of course it is tenable. It's not untenable because he, you know, he was there for all seven seasons. I'm just thinking, when are we going to get to that point where we're like, man, Picardo really phoned it in. Right. I don't want to be there for that yeah. moment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll get there. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, morals, meanings, messages. Um, I, it, you know, I think that this is clearly an emotionally deep episode, and clearly it's grappling with a lot that has to do with family. I like the lesson that the EMH has to learn that raising a family or being a part of a family, being part of a group, isn't about calculating probabilities like it's not a problem to solve by any sort of like by the book preparation i think that's very clear and very upfront and it's nice to see him absorb that that experience is the best teacher he actually has to go through it in order to understand it so that's very cool to see and obviously nothing can prepare him or anyone for the loss of a child that is so profound and tragic and even again if the episode feels like it was calculated in that way still works (laughs) you know it still works by showing us and letting us feel that tom says i'm not sure you can diagnose and cure a family and he's right and at the same time this kind of goes back to our conversation about balana and her reaction to what happens in there I do think that the EMH or anybody who is engaged in a family and family structure still has the right to try to do with their family and achieve the kind of family that they want. So, yeah, he can't sit down and sort of just crunch the numbers and decide that he's going to force a family to behave the way that he wants to. But he can still, through consent and effort, try to shape the kind of life that he wants so I, I'm I'm definitely not on Bolana's side here, a hundred percent. 
I am on the side that the doctor needs to experience things that are challenges that he can't necessarily switch on and off. But I also feel like I would afford him the same right that I, I would afford to anybody to say, shape the family that you want. Mm-hmm. Go, go be that person that you want to be. Might be a little weird and unorthodox to others, but, uh, but you can do that. Um, and finally, the, the thing that, well, you already touched on it once, and it's a message that we've picked up out of Star Trek many times before because we see this in the shape of the crew every single time. And it goes back to shaping the family that you want, that friends are the family that you choose. You get to shape that life for yourself, and you get to shape that life with that family that you put together through your friends. This is a crew that's put together by happenstance, but they also have to find a way to live and work together in a way that is productive but also satisfying personally for each other. So I like to see that every time we get to see that in Star Trek. How about you? Well, I know this is – Maybe a jump, you know, and just in terms of uh, connecting a moral to probably one of my favorite scenes in Star Trek ever. But I see the Doctor's story as, say, the Kobayashi Maru scenario. The Kobayashi Maru is the no-win scenario. Mm. And life is the Kobayashi Maru, right? (laughs) I mean, some people believe that you win in life if you acquire everything necessary to win, whatever winning is at life, either perfect health or perfect wealth or a perfect family, finding that perfect balance with everything. I'm not sure if that's possible. It's probably more in the realm of impossibility than anything else, but that's what many believe are the parameters of winning life. But Hmm. life is just a test of all of these things in varying degrees, just like the Kobayashi Maru. And I'm going to replace one word which changes kind of the paradigm of Kirk and Savick uh, at the beginning of Wrath of Khan where he criticizes her about the Kobayashi Maru scenario. I'm going to change the word command mm. and commanding to parent and parenting. And oh. now you can see okay. where I'm coming from in terms of the doctor's storyline, especially his last, his last you know, dialogue with Tom. Savick says, permission to speak freely, sir. Kirk says, granted. Uh-huh. Savick says, I do not believe that this was a fair test of my parenting abilities. And Kirk says, and why not? And Savick says, because there was no way to win. And Kirk says, a no-win situation is a possibility every parent may face. Has that never occurred to you? And Savick says, no, sir, it has not. And then Kirk says, and how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life, wouldn't you say? So this is the ultimate test, right? And the moral I hope that the doctor learns from is how to cope and how to grow with what happened at the end because it's the only way he'll be able to evolve. And isn't that what he truly wants to do? Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Distant Origin.
some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. If this is Twister in space, who is the extreme? Tom or Janeway? Is there a space suck zone? It's the wonder of nature, baby. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.